ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Interesting story for you. Not the weekend that just passed, but the weekend before. Go out and get something to eat for lunch, right? And so I'm there, minding my own business. And as I'm kind of like getting the check, getting ready to go, this kid comes up. He works at the restaurant. Look like he's probably about 19, maybe 20 years old, right? And so he comes up and he says, Mr. Jones, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a really big fan. And I say, okay, thank you. You know, all that. And he's like, you know, I, I listen to the podcast. I watch you, you know, all these things. And I, I got something I just want to ask you. I, I know this is going to sound crazy. And so, like, I'm expecting he's just going to ask for a picture because pictures are the new autographs, right? Like, people aren't really so concerned about autographs anymore. People just want to take a picture with you because then they take the picture, they can send it out. It effectively does the same thing because the signature is just kind of to commemorate the idea that a person was in the same place as you or whatever, right? So I get that. And so Buddy looks at me, and I'm looking at him, and he looks at me and says, I, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but can you sign my J's? And I look down, and the little homie is wearing a pair of Olympic sevens. And at first, I'm like, he didn't just say, like, will you sign my J's? Like, it, it never dawned on me that the dude, like, wanted me to sign his shoes. And so I'm like, all right, cool, but I got to go to the bathroom. I'll holler at you when I get back from the bathroom. And so... I go to the bathroom, I come back, I see my man, I wave to him. You know, he's at work, so he goes and does something else. I'm telling him, you know, I'm back. And he comes over, and if I'm lying, I'm flying. My man took off one of his shoes and put them up, and I asked him his name. He said his name is Adnan. He was heading over to Cyprus. Um, that's where people are from. He was going to Cyprus like he was leaving the country. And so he went to Cyprus, and I wrote on there to Adnan, be easy in Cyprus, and then I signed it. And... Then my man put his shoe back on and went back to work. And I said goodbye to him as I walked out the restaurant. And I bring this story up for a couple of reasons. Uh, I, I suppose reason number one, uh, for those of you who have been following along with me for a while, like I think about this, like I really look at kind of BomaniJones.com as kind of the beginning of building some sort of community around what it is that I'm doing. And I started that in, I want to say, 2004. So we talking about 13 years ago. Uh, you know, so a lot of y'all been with me when, you know, ain't nobody really cared nothing about me. I would have no you know, issue walking in a restaurant or nothing. So, like, number one, it is just kind of crazy to consider that somebody would want me to sign uh, their shoes. Number two. It was a very interesting moment for me, at least in terms of the notion or idea of, I don't even know if personal growth is the best way to put it, but um, as many of you know, I am very, very uncomfortable with compliments, right? You come at me talking crazy. I got a game plan for that. Like, I know what to do if you're talking crazy to me. I don't really know what to do other than to say thank you. If you like say something nice and like people being effusive with praise, I am notorious for deflecting these sorts of things. Hell, I block you for saying that you love me just as quick as I block you for saying that you hate me. Uh, I understand that this is not the most becoming uh, set of qualities that I might have, but that's life. But my man asked me to sign his J's. And if that had happened like three, four years ago, I might have actually stopped and given that young man a lecture about like how ridiculous it is. Right. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is this is silly. However, you fast forward to 2017 and like 
it's really kind of cool to consider the possibility that somebody might appreciate the work I do on such a level that they would actually want my signature on their shoes. Hey, man, a whole lot of people out here got plenty of hatred uh, towards your boy. The haterade rains down. When's the last time somebody asked you to sign their sneakers, huh? 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 I'm not sure your favorite can relate to that one. Huh? 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 Boy, I hear signing people's shoes. Also see that as I'm discussing this, there are people in the chat room that are saying things like they'd never bought a pair of Jordans um, and that they never understood the fascination with Jordans. And I mean, you know, I have to admit, I didn't really understand it nearly as much until I was able to buy some. And then once I did, it was like, yo, you have to understand no matter what else I'm wearing. I'm stunting out here in these J's like Roy Wood Jr. said that he got his first pair of J's. Uh, when the black and those black and gold fours came out not too long ago. In fact, yeah, those ones right there, right? And he was like, yo, I can go outside and pair sweatpants, and I'm still out here stunting. And I'm like, bro, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm out here in sweatpants every day, but ain't nobody clowning because I got these J's. And my man Kofi right there said, I just bought my first pair of Jordans at 28. All I can say is I get it now. Yeah, like I've, I've told you guys about this thing with me and the sneakers, because in large part I get the sneakers because I, you know, started living a little bit better, but I have like pretty minimal taste. So I can afford to get whatever the kicks are that come out. So I just go ahead and get the kicks. Right. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just what it comes down to. I can, so I do, and I don't really have like that much other stuff that I want to pay money for. And that's just kind of what it is. Man, after you get out here and you stunt some fly shoes a couple times, man, you can't go back to however it was that you was living before. You simply cannot. Like once you got that, once you got that feeling of looking down and your kicks are fresh, and then the next day you look down and your kicks are fresh, but it's not the same kicks as they were the day before. And then you look down the third day and you do that, man, it's game changer. It is a game changer. And I officially became the person that's like, nah, man, I can't wear them shoes today, man. I wore them yesterday. So if you don't get it, that's fine. I'm just telling you, don't brag about it. Ain't, ain't, ain't no real pride in that sort of situation. I feel like you're a little bit low on the evolutionary chain because you don't understand what this is. I guess we can't all be fly. I guess we can't all be fly. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. If you were the doctor from the United video, do you push this all the way to court or go for the out-of-court setup? I imagine by now that all of you have seen the video of the Asian uh, gentleman, the de- the doctor, getting yanked up off that plane uh, for United. United, by the way, is just putting on an absolute crash course on how to really fuck something up. I, I just don't think there's any way that you can look at that. Like, they were just like, at every turn, how can we find a way to make this bad? So the initial statement was, we didn't do nothing wrong. No, 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 no. That absolutely should not have been your first statement. Your first statement should have been, if, if it ain't going to be we fucked up, your first statement needed to be, we're gathering information and we'll let you know something soon, right? Somebody needed to be out there uh, calling Kinko's or whoever it is that you go to to get them to print out one of them great big old checks. And y'all needed to show up at that man's hospital room looking like he just wanted to publish his clearinghouse sweepstakes, right? Like you need to go find a McMahon, rest his soul, walking up in there with that check and just be like, yo, is there some way that we can keep this on the low between us? There absolutely has to be a way to keep this on the low between us. 
There has to be, right? Like that needed to be the immediate thing. Once you saw them dragging that dude down the aisle, down the aisle. Come on, man. You know the play. You did not need to go into uh, there's two sides. No, 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 no. You need to go into immediate. I hope that man is okay, right? But don't come with this. We didn't do nothing wrong. And that's what they started with. And that didn't work. And then it turned into this whole larger discussion of whether or not airlines should overbook flights, which I honestly thought was just the most ridiculous discussion of all, because it is very rare that you wind up on a plane that is overbooked and there's an issue with somebody having to leave the flight. It is very rare. Bottom line is, as long as people are going to be missing flights, airlines are going to overbook them. This has never really been a problem. Like, I think JetBlue doesn't do overbooking, and I suppose that that's very kind of them. But um, in terms of the rest of us, look, man, people miss flights. Like, all those times you get that flight and that bad boy say, uh, get your board pass at the gate or whatever it is, you pretty much always wind up getting on the plane. Right, like that right there. Like I don't even understand how you sell more seats than is on the plane. It's not that hard to figure out. Like I feel like a lot of people could have just stopped and broke out that good old fashioned common sense and been like, "Oh, okay, this makes sense." The problem they had here, though, was not that the flight was overbooked because the flight proved to not be overbooked. They just wound up with these people who were at United. And they wanted to catch themselves flight home. And they had too many of them. And they got whatever their random, not random, whatever the algorithm is to determine who it was they were going to get off the planes. They couldn't get no volunteers. Because I imagine that on a, uh, that was a Sunday flight, right? Because I imagine on a Sunday flight, it becomes difficult for you to find volunteers because on Sunday, everybody ready to go home, right? And so they made this decision. They were going to get that dude off the plane. And whoever the cop was that yanked him out, apparently that dude was just like, look, man, I got something better to do. I'm trying to get out of here as quickly as possible. They yanked that dude up out that, about that window seat. And look, there is barely enough room for you to just walk in those gaps in the seats. I don't know how they thought they were going to be able to pull that dude out without injuring him. Or maybe they misunderstood that the second they put their hands on that dude, that dude was like, yo, I'm about to go limp and we all going to get paid. Like nothing good can come from me fighting this man. Let me just go ahead and get yanked out of here. Cause I, I you're going to have a hard time convincing me that that man absolutely could not like get himself up and walk off the plane after they got him on the ground. Nah, brother, that was a business decision. Y'all go ahead and drag me out. I bet he got a hell of a carpet burn right there on the base of his lower back. I bet, oh boy, I bet he got that thing, man. But they pulled him out of there. That man went to the hospital. He got some Chicago lawyers, which is the smart move. Because you got to think about this. If you get into an issue with United and you're in Chicago, good luck, right? Because, I mean, United is one of the biggest businesses in the city. The police are absolutely going to be on the side of United. Like, in spite of the fact that, of course, the police had their own culpability in this, but the police are absolutely going to be in the side, on the side of United because the police are going to be on the side of what? Local commerce. Right? They, they are going to ride for local commerce. So they're on that side. The local paper, in all likelihood, is going to ride again for local commerce, keeping in mind that the passenger that we're talking about doesn't live in Chicago. He doesn't live in Chicago. 
So you got all the enemies in the world. Nah, man, you need to go get the most expensive lawyer you can find in Chicago. Somebody who knows the local terrain. And now the world is his oyster. Because United got to find one way or another to make this thing right. And what you're going to find is this will never go to court. It's going to be an out-of-court settlement. And that man's going to get whatever the money is that he needs. Now, if I'm him to answer the original question, which is, do you push this to court or do you go for the out-of-court settlement? You absolutely want to go for the out-of-court settlement. Like The the settlement is what you want. It saves you time and you ain't got to go through depositions and all that stuff. Okay, cool. On top of that, the last thing United wants to do is go in there and sit down for a deposition. The last thing any of them want to do is have to sit down under oath and have to talk about not just what happens here, but what happens any other time and what their policies are and how, no, they don't want no parts of this. So the out-of-court settlement is always the game because the trial is not pleasant. And, you know, if they go to a trial, they're going to bring up all that man's business out there. They already got him on the little situations that he had to get his little medical license taken away from him. You think they ain't about to come up? That man ain't trying to relive that at all, at all, at all. He's like, could y'all please cut me a check and cut me a check right now? All right, now, appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. By the way, do you people who keep asking sports questions like you've never been here before, we don't do sports questions on this show. Speaking of corporations in trouble, what was Pepsi even going for? All right. You guys may recall that it was a Pepsi commercial. It had Kendall Jenner in it. And what we learned from the Pepsi commercial with Kendall Jenner in it is that the antidote to getting your ass kicked by the police is handing 5 a Pepsi. I honestly would have taken the Pepsi, I mean, the 5 as being more Coke people. If for no other reason, then, you know, Coke is a little bit more of a traditional brand and cops tend to be more so traditional source of folks. But no, 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 no. Apparently it is Pepsi that will save your life in these moments. That is what we learned from that commercial. So what were they going for? They were going for their own. If I could build the world, if I could give the world a Coke, that was it. They thought this, that was what was going to work for the new times was to do that commercial. And I've read some interesting things about it. One, making the argument that since Pepsi chose to produce that commercial in-house, they didn't have enough voices out there to tell them, hey, guys, this looks like a really, really bad idea, right? But what they thought they could do is they could do a commercial that spoke to what the times are, and the times are a bit tumultuous, and that in these tumultuous times, we have things that we can gather around, and sometimes the thing that we can gather around is a Pepsi. Like, I'm not going to act like I didn't understand what they were trying to do. I'm also not going to act like what they were trying to do is such a huge problem. Like, I don't believe that it is. I think that what they were trying to do was to, like, have a unified moment. Like, it was, to a degree, the arrogance of a corporation to believe that they could be the representation of love. I mean, there it is, right? Here's my question. What did the black person at Pepsi who was in the meetings where this is going on say? Like, how did this progress? Because I think the argument that people have made is that there is not a, you know, this is what happens when you don't have a person of color in the room. And I have not been seen anything to indicate there was not a person of color in the room. 
you could say that the ad itself is an indication that there was not a person of color in the room. But that would then, I think, be ignorant of how it often tends to work when you have a person of color in the room. Like people seem to be under the impression that like having this, you know, proper representation means that everyone who is being represented is actually going to be listened to. Right? Like if these companies actually wanted to listen to people of color, you wouldn't have to elbow them to make sure that they have a person of color in the room. So I would not be surprised at all if the person of color in the room was there and tried to hit them with Guys, I don't think that this is going to be a good idea because da da da. And they're like, you know what? Every time we want to do something fun, you say there's a problem with it. I don't see what the problem is. Like, what's wrong with it? They're protesting, and then the cop gets a Pepsi, and then everybody claps, and then everybody's coming together. Why don't you like that? Like, what's your problem with that? And then the person probably tried to start with the response, and then there's somebody else in the other room like, hey, 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 hold on. She's right. You know this, right? She's right. She's absolutely right. And then that per- that black person in the room was just like, all right, then fine. Go ahead. Do it. No, 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 no. So, no, no, no. Y'all go ahead. You're right. I'm just being a stick in the mud. Y'all go ahead. Do that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead and do that. Then that person got off work. And went to wherever the local bar is, came in there. You know how it went. Whoo, boy, let me tell you about these white people at my job and what they did today. These conversations happen. They happen fairly frequently. And they're like, Dawg, so what'd you do? I said, fine, go ahead and run that commercial, see what happened. And then when that commercial come out, I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to look around and I'm just going to be like, see, y'all should have listened to me. And then they probably came in there the next meeting and that person was walking in like, oh, tried to tell them. And then they sitting down and they're just like, okay, guys, so what do you think about the commercial? And he's just sitting there with this big old grid on his, his or her face and just in there like, yep, now I'm going to get my credit. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize, hey, Clarence, you could have helped me out a lot more with this. Like, if you really thought that this was going to be a problem, that you should have stood on your chair and you should have screamed that we were going to get in trouble. You let me go out here and make this commercial. How could you do that? And Clarence over there like, Pup. Then the one on the other side of the room, you know what? I don't even understand why we have Clarence here. Like, if Clarence can't stop us from getting in this kind of trouble, maybe we need to find somebody else. I don't know. Right. I just I just I just can't figure this out. I mean, I I sometimes am going to get things wrong. I need Clarence to make sure that we don't get in any trouble. And Clarence just sitting over there like and Clarence look over there at the person that's one step over him, the person that got him in that room in the first place, supposed to be looking out for. And that person's like, all right, guys. All right, guys. Look, Clarence isn't perfect. okay? but he does his best. And Clarence over there like. I tried to tell y'all not to do that. Like y'all don't remember me telling y'all to try to do that. I don't remember you saying anything. I remember you being just like you are every other time we have a meeting, just sitting over there, rolling your eyes, looking at your phone. Now I don't know if that's what happened at Pepsi. It is entirely possible that Pepsi does not have a person of color in the room when it comes time to make a decision like this. That totally could have happened. All I'm trying to explain to you is 
just because it looks like nobody listened to a person of color does not mean there is not a person of color trying to be listened to. And by the way, I do believe I can use sports in this way to give you an example to help you understand just how these things often tend to work. Y'all remember that time that the NFL locked out the referees? Y'all remember that? The NFL locked out the referees, right? They couldn't come to a deal with the referees, and so they were out there with replacement referees, right? The ultimate public display of substitute teachers. Like, they, they had referees, and they were substitute teachers. And so there was this very famous play. It was a game in Seattle. It was the Seahawks versus the Green Bay Packers, and Russell Wilson threw a ball into the end zone. I think it was Golden Tate. I can't remember. But anyway, it was a, a situation that appeared to be one of simultaneous possession, and the Packers wound up coming up with the ball. It was the last play of the game. The Packers wound up coming up with the ball. The Seahawks were trying to win it. All right. So what you had was you had two officials who were coming up on the play, and they were trying to, you know, each trying to give a call for the play. So the official that was closest to the play, he started taking his hands up over his head, and he was going to cross them over his head, which would be the indication of a change of possession, which would mean an interception, and then it was going the other way. A second official, he then runs in, and what became clear, because they were substitute teachers, is everybody wanted to feel like they were doing something. And so the second one comes up, and he saw the first one had put his arms over his head, but he figured that meant it was going to be a touchdown. So instead of doing the interception sign like the first dude, and the, and the correct call, by the way, was the interception. Instead of doing the interception thing like the first dude, the second one comes and throws his arm up for a touchdown. But he doesn't really know what's going on. He's out here faking the funk. So I can't imagine that he was arguing it was a touchdown with any level of conviction. As that's happening, we got two of these, like, assistant referees. They got different names, but for people who don't do sports. They got two of these assistant referees, and they're giving conflicting calls. And so the head referee, he's the one that's got to make the decision. He runs over. It seems like he's trying to talk a little bit, but he doesn't have any time. Like, by the time he made a decision, he hadn't had enough time to hear what both sides were saying. He didn't have no chance to do that. All he did was he saw one referee act like it was an interception, one referee act like it was a touchdown, and so he went ahead and called a touchdown. You want to guess what that first referee looked like? The one who made the right call? You want to guess what that second referee looked like? The one who didn't make the right call? You want to guess what that third referee looked like? The one who all he knew was one referee said interception, the other referee said touchdown, and he decided to vote for the second referee. You want to guess what that first referee looked like? I suggest you go look to play up right now you go look to play up right now just because you have a person of color in the room to make decisions does not mean anybody is actually going to listen to them and what was crazy with that play of the nfl was after that happened after that happened they were doing all these interviews and nobody interviewed the referee who actually got the call right. They were interviewing the head referee who picked the wrong dude to ride with. They were interviewing the referee who went over there and called a touchdown. They never seemed to want to talk to the brother who actually got the call right. 
So again, maybe there was nobody in the room for Pepsi that was a person of color. Or nobody listened to that person. Appreciate the question. To the moron in the chat room that's saying, I'm guessing the shoe closet has the best acoustics in the house. Let me ask you a question. Be smart. If I'm in a closet, what's my laptop sitting on? Now, what do you think I'm doing? Sitting Indian style on the floor? Like, had you ever stopped to use your brain long enough to think about that? No, this is an office. It has a desk. Behind it, there are shelves. And on the shelves, I put shoes. Why? Because I have a lot of shoes and I need some place to put the shoes. And it happens to be in the office. Why are the shoes in the office? What better background am I going to have than this? What better background than the shoes and Emmy? Say hi to Emmy. So don't be stupid, Matt. Matt, did you disappear? I don't see you saying anything else after you got checked for saying something silly. Anyway, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Do you think this latest controversy will be enough to get Bill O'Reilly out to paint once and for all? So, yeah, so this is interesting, the Bill O'Reilly thing. As you've seen this, apparently everybody and their moms have sued Bill O'Reilly for sexual harassment, and Fox has just been cutting checks to keep Bill O'Reilly around. Um, what we have seen, though, subsequently, is that a lot of companies have decided they're not going to advertise on the O'Reilly factor, and that's normally the sort of thing that starts pushing you like to the side. Um, of note, when Rush Limbaugh called that woman a slut on the radio that time, a lot of advertisers backed away, and there are many who believe that his show like never fully recovered um, from the advertisers pulling away. And, I mean, this is kind of the power that you have as consumers. If somebody does something that you find to be distasteful, then what you try to do is like hit them in the advertisers. I mean, I've had people do that stuff to me. Like That's life. I get it. Um, it seems to be somewhat effective, but is this enough to get Bill O'Reilly fired? Now, Roger Ailes got himself fired after all these things, but people thought that it was time for Roger Ailes to go. Like, I'm not so sold that the allegations against Roger Ailes got him fired as much as the decision had just been made, it was time for him to go. So the question is, when does Bill O'Reilly become more trouble than he's worth for Fox News? I don't have a great answer for that. Like, I don't know what it would take, like, if this is enough for Bill O'Reilly to wind up losing his job. Here's my question. I mean, I ask this because, I mean, it's not like I watch Bill O'Reilly that much, so I can't really speak to it. But, I mean, is Bill O'Reilly irreplaceable? Because I think that's the the question that matters most. Is Bill O'Reilly irreplaceable? So let's take Limbaugh, for example. Now, Limbaugh's in a different situation because Limbaugh's just doing radio, right? But regardless of what you feel about Limbaugh and his views, if you've never listened to Limbaugh on the radio, here's the thing that you understand have to understand. Like Limbaugh isn't good at his job. Limbaugh isn't great at his job. Limbaugh is legitimately one of the greatest 
talk radio talents who has ever lived. Like, I do this for a living. I'm telling you, Limbaugh is where he is largely because Limbaugh is really, really, really good at his job. Really good at his job. And he's singular. Like, there's one of those. Like, is Bill O'Reilly really singular? Because I've wondered if you put somebody else in his time slot saying similar things, and it's not like he's really giving you a great series of original thoughts. Like, I don't think that O'Reilly is giving you something that you can't get someone else to give you. Would it really be that hard for them to go find somebody else to put in O'Reilly's time slot? I mean, I, I, I don't have a great answer for that. Like do, like, do they have somebody else who could do that? Like, Brian's in here talking about Tommy Lyron. Now, Tommy Lyron can't do that. Not quite. Like, that's a bigger job than she's ready for. And I think the Fox people would absolutely know that. And the thing with her being pro-choice, um, I think it's disingenuous for the Blaze to say that that's the reason that they let her go. But I would totally see it as a reason why Fox News would not hire her. But, like, is it that hard to do what Bill O'Reilly does? I'm not asking that question rhetorically or sarcastically. I'm asking it sincerely. Like, this dude used to host Inside Edition. Like, would it really be that hard to find somebody to put there? How much of O'Reilly is about the singular force of Bill O'Reilly and how much of it is the power of the Fox News platform? And I don't know the answer to that. Now, if Fox News ultimately makes a decision that they can get somebody else to do that, then they'll go find somebody else who can do that, though I imagine O'Reilly's contract is probably pretty ironclad. But if they don't think they can find somebody else to go fill in in that slot, then it's not going to happen. Then it's not. Like I saw somebody say that in this climate, they're not going to get rid of O'Reilly. I feel like in this climate, it's it's probably pretty easy to find somebody to replace O'Reilly. I would think. But we'll see. I mean, the other question is, and this is something I know from working in this business that's worth considering. They'll be able to find people who are willing to advertise on his show. But are those the people that they want to advertise on the show? Right. So what we've seen is like Mercedes is no longer advertising on the O'Reilly factor. BMW is no longer advertising on the O'Reilly factor. And I'm sure that Fox wants to go out there and sell themselves to brands like BMW, right? To brands like Benz. They want to be like, hey, we had this high dollar clientele that's watching here. And then the network seems more prestigious because they are selling advertisements for more prestigious companies. If they wind up having like scraping bottom of the barrel, like like if they got to be out here doing like commercials with Dollar General or something like that, I don't think that's what they want. I don't think that's what they want at all. And this dude in the chat room says sell themselves to Ford and Chevy seems more like what's realistic. I don't understand what you mean by saying that's what's more realistic. Uh, Number one, Fox and Chevy don't want to be associated with the mess that surrounds O'Reilly any more than anybody else. But where you're talking about their viewers would be like more realistic for Fox and Chevy. Dude, you have a serious misunderstanding. There are a lot of really rich people who watch these shows. Like y'all have kind of cast these, you know, these people watching uh, right wing news is just being a bunch of poor bumpkins in the middle of the country. No, 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 no. There's a whole lot of rich people on the coast who are watching Fox News. There's a whole lot of rich people on the coast who are watching Bill O'Reilly. Right. Like you'll go into all I got to live in Miami. You'll go into all kinds of places or you look up at the TV and they happen to be playing Fox News. No, 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 no. 
there's money that absolutely is on board with what Bill O'Reilly is talking about. Look, man, stuff like these tax cuts and stuff like that, you know who's getting these tax cuts? People who drive Benzes and BMWs. That's who's getting those tax cuts. Right. And so for Fox, they, they, they don't want you thinking, yeah, our audience is just a bunch of people driving Ford F-150s. No, they want you thinking it's people driving BMWs. It's people driving Benzes. They want to appear to be an upper echelon brand in that way. Like, look, I work at sports, uh, sports radio, and I've never really had a talk with the ESPN radio people about who their listeners are and who they're trying to sell to and stuff like that. Like, I can't speak to that. But I know when I work local, the reason that they like they talk to the sales guys, they're like, look, we are able to sell these ads often without even having to really tout your ratings. But what they were able to demonstrate was that people who listen to sports radio were affluent with disposable income. They, I mean, they, they, was, they had money that they were going to spend. And so they trying to sell high dollar advertisements. We selling ads for jewelry stores, for example. Right. Like, that's what they're doing. Like, don't don't. I, I don't know what you think rich people watch on television, but I have no idea why you think they ain't watching Fox News. And if you're saying, well, more of their uh, viewers are driving Fords and Chevys. Well, yeah, duh. More of everybody's listeners are driving Fords and Chevys than are driving BMWs and Benzes. But BMW and Benz is probably paying more, and Ford and Chevy ain't really making nobody look good in that way. So, nah, my man said, you never, uh, I said, I never said they don't watch. No, but you said Ford and Chevy is more realistic. Here's why that's stupid. When the hell has advertisement ever been about what's realistic? Like, what are you talking about? Like, part of the thing for BMW and Benz is not simply selling to people who have money for BMWs and Benzes right now. It's selling to people who one day aspire to be on that level. Fox isn't trying to sell this to people that's like, yeah, we right where you are. No, man, Fox is trying to sell this as we are where you want to be. And O'Reilly's making that a little bit more difficult for them to do. So I think that what, if the ad profile becomes one that the network ultimately finds unbecoming, then they might wind up making a move. That being said, if they haven't gotten O'Reilly about to paint by now, like it's not like what more information do you need? Like whatever it is to get him out to paint, we know this already. At least as of right now, they've made the decision that the stink that comes with them is worth it. It's worth it. And that's what you got. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Kashawn Spicer do any worse than normalizing concentration camps by calling them Holocaust centers. So here's the thing with me about the Holocaust center thing. What exactly are they doing? Right? Because, I mean, this isn't the first time that we've wound up in a situation where they said some things involving Jews that I ain't getting out here saying in public about Jews. Now, let me, let me make something clear to you also about me that you need to understand. I was born in Atlanta. I grew up in Houston. I did a couple years in California. I lived in 10 years for 10 years in North Carolina, and then I moved to Miami. Now, Miami is pretty heavily Jewish, um, 
but I like I'm not going to pretend like I interact with a lot of Jews here. Like pretty much, like I, I've joked about wanting to write a book called "Everything I Learned About Judaism from My Agent" because that's like the Jewish person I have the most discussions with about like issues that like really affect Jews. Like that's just not really been my space, my sphere. I don't know. I mean, for whatever, that's just how it goes, right? So like once you start getting out here in public, talking about matters involving Jews and things like with the Holocaust and stuff. Y'all can have that. And the reason that I say that y'all can have that is I simply don't know the terrain, but I know enough about the terrain. Like, it's basically like, I mean, you hear this phrase used very often, but this is basically what it is, right? There's a field out there. It's got a lot of mines in the land. I don't know where the mines are. There's not been a circumstance yet where I needed to get to the other side of that field so bad that I'm going to run across a minefield. We're just not there. Like, that's not a place where I'm going to take chances because I don't know the terrain, but I know that the punishment for misjudging it can be swift and powerful. I know that, right? So if it feels a little bit shaky to me, nope, 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 nope. I'm not even going to do it. That's me. I'm not even going to do it. I saw people out there after my man uh, when he said, uh, what did he say something about like, Hitler didn't even um, drop bombs on his own people, right? And he said the difference is that Assad was doing it to his own people and Hitler wasn't doing it to his own people. And I'm like, whoo, 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 no, 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 no. Oh, that's a bad idea, buddy. That's a bad idea. Once you start trying to squeeze somebody onto a scale of zero to Hitler, oh, no, 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 no. You can't win. You can't win for just comparing somebody to Hitler. And, I mean, it is entirely possible that a day will come where there will be someone who is, in fact, worse than Hitler, right? Like, I mean, there may be a day that something comes out and we find out more about Bashar al-Assad and we'll find out that he's the one who's just as bad as Hitler. I don't know. Maybe that'll be the case, but I ain't got to be the first one to say it. And I don't think you should either. Why? Because let's just say you make your point. Then what? Then what? What have you won? What have you gained? Just really no reason to go there. No reason to go there. And so then my man said Holocaust centers. Here's the thing about that to me that's just so wild. Like, all right, concentration camp, accepted term. Right, like, like, accepted term. We understand concentration camps. We know what they are. Why are you trying to cook up a euphemism for concentration camp? Right, our Jewish brothers and sisters do not mind a sane concentration camp. In fact, they would prefer we say concentration camp because the last thing they want anybody to do is to minimize the Holocaust. Right, and no matter whether you're Jewish or not. You can understand that one. Like, we not about to act like the Holocaust wasn't so bad. We don't even really let you say slavery wasn't so bad. And they're putting that in textbooks now. She ain't really about to be out here saying this out loud. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Right? No, 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 no. So once you get into this place where you're going to compare things like to Hitler and to the Nazi regime in that way or whatever it is, you're either A, going to come off as saying the Nazis aren't that bad, or B, you're going to come off as saying this other person is worse than the Nazis. 
no one is trying to hear any of those things. None of them. So, no, I can't think of, like, a bigger mistake that a press secretary could make than he did. I cannot do it. And the reason that I can't is all of that was just such obvious, nah, bro, I don't think you should do that. Like, all of it was. Like, if that's the dude, and this is something that people really need to honestly consider. If these are the kind of answers that you're going to get from the press secretary, I don't really understand why they just don't let Trump do the briefing himself. Like, this isn't protecting him even a little bit. I, I don't think that Trump would have done that. I don't. And Spicer then, in a way, winds up making it worse. The reason that he winds up making it worse is the ain't was so long that you can keep saying these kinds of things before people, regardless of what your son-in-law believes or what religion that your daughter converted to. After a while, people are like, yo, dude, like, he's one of them. Right, like, he's one of them. And I guess, in a way, they seem to be okay with that because I thought with Spicer, like, for most administrations, that would have been fireable, like, to date. He would have already not have a job. Already. Nope, they riding with him. He came out here, he gave a bit of an apology but whoo, 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 whoo. only thing worse than having a terrible job, which I think it's fair to say that Sean Spicer has. The only thing worse than having a terrible job is being terrible at your terrible job. But your job is a little too good for you to quit right away. So basically, he's going to be able to work this job just long enough to make sure that he can't really get a job. So there's that. Appreciate the question. By the way, we were talking about Pepsi a little bit earlier. This dude, Johnny, says the CEO of Pepsi is a woman of color. And, I mean, okay, and? We not talk about the CEO. We talking about the people in the room when they made the decision to make that ad. Now, what I don't know is if that ad makes it all the way up to the CEO. It seems like something that should make it all the way up to the CEO, but I don't know if it made it all the way up to the CEO. If it did make it all the way up to the CEO, then I don't know what the hell she got going on. But I have a sneaky suspicion that it did not get all the way up to the CEO. If it did get to the CEO and she, as a woman of color, couldn't figure out what the problem is, it either A, makes me wonder how in the world she got all the way up to being the CEO, or B, fully explains how she got all the way up to being the CEO. I don't have an answer for which it is, though. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. The governor of Alabama didn't learn from Bobby Petrino the importance of not having your side chick work in your office. Actually, from what I've seen about these stories about the uh, governor of Alabama, uh, yeah, there was some issue with having uh, his side chick work at the office, but the bigger issue um, seemed to be that he had his iMessage stuff on all the devices, including one that his wife could get her hands on. I think that is probably more the moral of the story here if you're looking to find a moral um, in this story. Yeah, like that's what that one would be. You know, and... 
Dude, that thing is so crazy. And I think it's something like there have been three Alabama governors in a relatively short period of time that have wound up leaving that job like in chains. Like this dude's catching charges off of this, charges off of this. And I guess what he didn't really do the math on is he thought he had one of those wives who would find out about this and just like cross the fingers and hope for the best when it turned out that he had one of them wives who was not about to be out here getting embarrassed. Like, like that's, that's where he wound up and it just, whew, it all went downhill from there. It all went downhill from there. And yeah, he was doing all the texting and I mean, his case actually seems more like a Mark Sanford case. Cause he seemed to like really, really fall in love. You know, like they were sending those sappy, like googly eyed, text messages back and forth to each other. Like he thought that he had found his soulmate and he just could not help himself. He was head over heels and it's like he wanted the world to know, but you couldn't tell the world because that wasn't, you know, allowed. Yeah, that, that just wasn't a thing. By the way, um, I asked just cause I don't know. Has anyone uh, seen a picture of this young lady? Anybody? Has anybody uh, seen a picture of his mistress? I'm just curious because I was reading a book. I just got through uh, finishing a book called 1995, The Year the Future Began. It's a very interesting book um, that I recommend you check it out. And it basically just talks about these five watershed moments that took place in the year 1995 that really set the course for the next 20 plus years. And I mean, Everything that's happened since the book has been published has actually spelled out how accurate it is. But one of the things that they talk about in there is the Monica um, Lewinsky situation and so many different things that had to break exactly right for Clinton to wind up in this terrible place that he did with Monica Lewinsky. Um, But part of what's so interesting about that with her is Clinton seemed to like really have a crush on her. Now like she was really, really head over heels for him. But he seemed to like really and legitimately have a crush on Monica Lewinsky, right? Like he seemed to just really, you know, have these things to say about her. And everybody's looking at that thing the same exact way. And they're just like, dog, you risked it all like that, huh? Like that's how it went. And what happens and what people I feel like lose sight of, man, cats fall, like these cats get in these situations and they mess around and they fall in some kind of love. Especially them old heads make me feel like I'm 20 years younger or whatever it is. It's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from there. Appreciate the question. See what we got here. Where does the Charlie Murphy Prince skit on Chappelle's show rank in terms of best skits from the show? Y'all stay want me to rank some shit, man. Like, that's not easy. Um... Interesting that you put the, like, Charlie Murphy, and of course, for those who don't know, um, at the time of this recording, Charlie Murphy uh, died today at the age of 57. And it was interesting because we interviewed him, I guess, about a year and a half ago, somewhere there for um, HQ, and he looked a lot smaller. He kind of had that big-faced look, and I didn't know, I didn't think there was something wrong. I thought he decided to lose some weight or whatever, um, but apparently he had leukemia, 57 years old, died, tragedy. Um and, of course, this has people looking at Charlie Murphy. I mean, he's Eddie Murphy's brother, so there's a certain notability there. But an interestingly ironic thing about Chappelle's show and the legend of Chappelle's show is, like, we all really like Chappelle's show season one. 
it turned legend in season two. And it turned legend in season two in large part because of the Rick James sketch. Like, I remember I was in London, and I caught up with a friend of mine from college. And as you remember, she told me out of nowhere, she's like, yo, a friend of mine went to a taping, and it was this whole sketch about Rick James. And she's like, this is the – and apparently it's the funniest thing in the world. Like, people were coming out of the taping just talking about how insanely funny the Rick James thing was. And the Rick James thing is on Chappelle's show because it's a real story involving Charlie Murphy. Like, there's a, there's a certain serendipity in the idea that Charlie Murphy just happened to be at work and somebody mentioned Rick James. I think Dave talked about this. He said somebody mentioned Rick James. And Charlie Murphy's like, dog, I had to whip his ass like five times. And then he winds up telling the story. And so they get Charlie in front of the green screen and he tells the story. And they wind up getting Rick James to tell the story, you know, to tell his side. And then Chappelle, of course, goes in and acts it out or whatever. But as funny as like Dave is in selling the ridiculous notion of Rick James, Charlie Murphy playing Charlie Murphy being the straight man, right? Not just playing Charlie Murphy like in the sketches, but also just the storytelling part in front of the green screen. The part that I think that gets lost in that about Charlie Murphy is what we found out in that is Charlie Murphy has one of the rarest and most valuable gifts. He is an amazing storyteller. Like, you know that dude in your life or that woman in your life who is just great at telling stories. There's so there's things, so few things as dope as somebody who just tells great stories. All right? Like, Charlie Murphy got a story about seeing Stevie Wonder at a studio boxing with somebody. And so with Charlie, that was the thing. Like, Charlie is not a stand-up comedian. He wound up doing stand-up, but it was funny that Dave always talked about being around Charlie Murphy. He said he hated being around comics. Comics always got to be banging on somebody, always got to be joking on somebody. And Charlie Murphy was always far less about these jokes and far more about these hands. Like, he's not really a comic, a comedian in that sort of way. But, like, when he tell that, that whole, he was he, he always stepping over the line. He's a, 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 a habitual line stepper. Like, what made that so dope is all of us know somebody like that. Like, all of us know the dude to be telling that story and then be like, he's just a, a, a habitual line stepper. And we all know that cat, right? We all do. Fights a little bit too much. Then he tells these stories and be laughing. The dude who tells the stories about whooping people's asses and about the times that he gets slapped in the face, right? The hardcore real about telling the story. And that's what Charlie was. Charlie was a dude that told a great story. You know, and that's really the enduring thing for us. So, like, you mentioned the Prince kit. Like, the Prince kit was cool. The Prince kit is not Rick James. Like, I, I did a list once many years ago about, like, my top 25 Chappelle show sketches. I, I actually kind of like to watch those first two seasons and then do it again and then decide, you know, with the different consciousness how it is that I will wind up ordering them. But, like, the Prince one is good, but, like, off the top of my head, I probably name somewhere between five and ten sketches that are better. Like, I think, to me, the two best Chappelle sketches are probably the play of Haters Ball, which has some great Charlie Murphy in it. That's right. I let you boy. Uh, the play haters ball and Black Bush. Black Bush is like amazingly good. Black Bush is like a legitimate work of genius. Black Bush, in a lot of ways, like it is what fully explains Chappelle's approach to doing that show and what it is in terms of coding and how you get different ideas across in different ways and like a very much an influence in the way that I structure my content and the goal that I'm looking for. Right, is the ability to tell like what's the same but different. So, for example. 
I tell you, I use uh, the referees in the uh, in that football game earlier to explain how the Pepsi thing goes. Right? Is how to understand when the coding changes, but the message ultimately remains the same. Anyway, uh, the Prince one is good. The Prince one also has, but the great. See, the funniest thing, the funniest moment in the Prince one is actually not Dave, and it's not Charlie Murphy. It is Donnell Rollins with uh with uh Dave as Prince comes and smacks him on the button and says, Good play. Donnell Rollins looks at him and says, Yo, I'm not on your team. <laughs> Certainly inappropriate, right? Like we're not denying that the humor of it is inappropriate. However, that is exactly as I would expect somebody to react in that situation. And that's where the funny comes. Yes, M-A-R-S, Mars, bitches, Red Rocks. Yay, yay. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. If you saw a police brutality incident in person, how bad would it have to get before you considered intervening? So, so here's the problem with whatever this is that you were talking about, where you're saying, how bad would I have to consider would it have to get for me to consider intervening? Um, if it gets so bad that I go from not intervening to intervening, it sounds like intervening would be like the worst thing that I could do. Because if I couldn't do anything to help the situation before, what the hell I'm going to do now that it's gotten bad? Nah, 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 nah. I don't, I don't, I don't really have an answer for you on that. Like, like what, what, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, nah, 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 nah. I, I feel like you guys have, I, I don't know what the point is that you're going for here, um, plumber. Chances are the best thing I can do is pull out my camera and make sure that the world finds out about this injustice that has uh, transpired. Like, what? what, We all got to get shot. We all got to get tased. So, like, you think about that for a second. Police beating up the one dude. Now I come in and I'm going to try to hem up the policeman. You think he going to hit me with that stick or you think he going to hit me with that tool? Yeah, card got it. I had to throw him that can of Pepsi. Maybe that 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 will be my contribution to the situation. Like seriously, what 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 in the world do you think that I would do? Excuse me, there, Mister Officer. I bet you drop that pistol and badge, and me and you come over here and shoot the fair one. How often do you see cops shoot the fair one? Well, think about that. Give give that some thought. How many stories have you heard about cops shooting the fair one? Let's take it another step further. When's the last time you heard a story about a cop losing a fight? Like, think about all the dudes you know who might be out here living in various ways as it relates to the law, right? Think about these dudes you know. When's the last time you heard a single one of them tell a story about that time that they beat a cop in a fight? Who you got? Because I've heard people tell all kinds of lies. I remember a dude who told a story about hooping somebody up and then the dude came to the court and put an AK-47 to his head and he turned and walked away. But I have never heard a story of somebody talking about the time they want to fight against the cop. Adrian Peterson didn't even win against the cops. He didn't lose, but he did not win. Yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Officer. Looks like I'm going to have to fight for true justice in the American way. Are you out of your mind? Stop asking me stupid questions. Somebody said Bruce Willis. Maybe Bruce Willis was the cops. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this here every Wednesday night. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot catch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. We are also at Google Play, and you can find us on SoundCloud. Hope to talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.